So last week in 2 Peter, if you would, uh, if you're new here this morning, we're finishing, this is the last message in the book of 2 Peter. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, and, and I want to just read verse 10 of chapter 3, which we talked about last week. Chap, uh, verse 10, 2 Peter chapter 3, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Man, that is a big event. Now, uh, here's an excerpt from a book called The Left Hand of Creation written by a couple of modern day physicists. And I say modern day the 80s, the late 80s. That's my modern day. This is what they say. These are smart, super smart physicists. This is what they say. Some say the world will end in fire, some say ice. Robert Frost's well-known words still sum up the possibilities fairly accurately. Whereas the beginning appears to have been regular and quiescent to a high degree, the final state will be chaotic and violent. All galaxies, stars, and atoms will dissolve into nuclei and radiation. Then the nuclei will be dismembered into protons and neutrons. They, in turn, will be squeezed until the quarks confined within them are liberated into a huge cosmic soup of freely interacting quarks and leptons. I mean, those guys are so smart, I don't even know what they said. Here, here's the thing. Um, I mean, they say that the end of the universe, as they describe it, is going to happen this way in, oh, 10 billion years or so. Okay, that is, that is their, that's the conclusion, and many, many physicists agree that after Billions of years, that's what's going to happen. And, and we, of course, know that the earth is groaning, that, that, that everything is going from a state of order to disorder, which disproves evolution on the backside of that thinking. But the horror in that paragraph um, lies in the vast scale of the annihilation of everything that we know of, and probably a lot that we don't know of. But contrary to their scientific conclusions, it will instead not be billions of years. It's going to be in the relatively near future, that end, as we read in 2 Peter and as they are describing here. Not after some long drawn out process, but under the weight of God's consuming wrath will that occur. It's not going to happen naturally. It is going to be a supernatural, powerful, unimaginable, intense, final blow that God will level on everything that we know today. And for God's enemies, that future judgment will be an inescapable nightmare. But, but for God's children, for God's children, it will mean the fulfillment of the Christian hope. A dream come true, so to speak. Something that we hope for and that we have been told about. An event that will usher in Jesus' rule on the earth. Uh, an event that will be followed by the creation of a new heaven 
and a new earth. And I don't know what that looks like. I, I, some guys think it's just a souped up remodeling of the one that we live on. I don't know what that's going to look like. There are many ideas about what that might look like, but it will be God's ultimate triumph. And make no mistake, he will do what he says he will do. And he will rule all things. Scripture tells us of signs that will take place as we every day draw closer to that time, that day of the Lord, that final act. There are prophetic truths in God's word. There are promises. Jesus himself gave indications. If you look up here at Matthew 24, 5 through 8, this is what Jesus says, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. An increase in false messiahs. An increase in warfare, in famines, plagues, natural disasters. Those are signs of the end times. Those are signs, honestly, that this planet has been experiencing since the fall of man. And, uh, you know, a thousand years is as a day for the Lord. In this passage, though, we're given a warning. We are not to be deceived because these events are only the beginning of the birth pains. The end is still to come. Now, have you, ever, have you ever wondered what the purpose of prophetic truth is? Have you ever sat down and just thought, you know, Pastor Dave and other pastors, they talk about prophecy and there's people that study prophecy all the time. What is the point? What is the purpose of prophecy? Why does Jesus answer the way that he does? Well, one of the reasons is because he didn't even, he doesn't even know the day that he's coming back. He's going to, well, I don't think he sleeps, but um, there's going to be a day where God the Father, and I don't know how the Trinity operates within itself. It, it's one God, it's, it's three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but that I, this is how I imagine it in, in my mind, you know, like I would myself. I get up one day and, and uh, you know, somebody comes to me and says, well, this is going to happen this week. Uh, I'm having surgery on Wednesday if I don't get sick by then. I'm having surgery on Wednesday. I don't know when it is. They said they'll call me on Tuesday and tell me what time to be there. That's the way the end is going to happen. God the Father is going to say, Jesus, this is the time. Right now, go. Jesus doesn't know, but he's coming back. He's coming why, why does Peter, why does God have the prophets, prophets bring the messages that he has them bring to the people about future events, about things that are going to happen? Why does Peter in this second letter go to great lengths to remind us that Jesus is going to return one day? Why? Why do we have that? Well, it isn't about speculation, which is what we love to do. We, those who study and study and study and, and they throw their whole life's work into studying prophecy and figuring it out, when it's going to happen, what's going to happen next, what order is it going to happen? 
It's not about speculation. It isn't meant to set us off on a grand search to try and discern the generation, the generation or the century or the day or the hour in which it's going to occur. That's not why we have prophecy. It isn't even about setting us on a journey to figure it out. What will happen first? When will the rapture occur exactly? What is the rapture exactly? When will the tribulation occur? No, I don't think it's about speculation. I don't think it's about trying to figure out how it's going to happen. I think it's about motivation. It's motivation. Motivation for the here and now. Motivation to live for Jesus every moment of every day because we just don't know. We don't know. Motivation unto faith because prophecies have already been fulfilled. We've seen them proclaimed. We saw them wrote down 600, 800, 1,000 years ago. And then we see 500, 400, 300 years ago where those things that God had the prophets write down and tell the people, those happened. And we can look at those and go, we can have that same kind of, we can have faith in the things that he said he's going to do in the future because he did what he said he was going to do in the past. So if Jesus says he's coming back, he is. When Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to rise again, what do you think they thought? Sure. Okay. And then what happened? He did. He did. And what happened then? Peter stumbling over himself. Oh, I don't know that guy. I, I, I don't know Jesus. Three times he denied him. But after Jesus came back and resurrected, what did Peter do? He went to his death for the truth about Jesus Christ. Because he knew that it was the real deal. We have confidence in the one true God, confidence in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who came, died, and resurrected on the third day, confidence in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives because he was poured out on the day of Pentecost and now is found in every believer. Now, even those that disagree on the order or the description of certain events that will occur, that will occur before and on the day of the Lord, like some of you, you may know these terms, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. There are all kinds of ideas and conclusions about how that's all going to occur. And, and we know that there are many, many different opinions when it comes to those end times, and all of them can't be right, of course. But there's one thing that all of those who are trying to figure out the order, etc., agree on. What is it? Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. So, so we should all be motivated, motivated, encouraged, not afraid, not afraid of the chaos that's happening because he's got it. He's got it. We don't have to worry about that. And in these last few paragraphs, Peter tells us that we should be motivated to, one pastor said this, he said, I have moved from the planning committee to the welcoming committee. I'm no longer trying to figure out how this is all going to happen, planning it out. I, I now want to welcome people into the kingdom. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't, I'm not saying that we should stop studying prophecy. I'm not saying, I'm not saying do, do that. 
that, that you shouldn't be interested in it, but, but it does mean that whatever views that you hold should make a positive impact in your life today. It shouldn't just be knowledge for knowledge's sake. There should be a purpose. And of course, as I just said, one of those purposes is motivation for today. Motivation for today. Be diligent is the challenge that best summarizes what Peter writes in these last verses of his letter. He has used this word multiple times already in this second letter. In chapter one, verse five, he said, for this very reason, make every effort, be diligent to add to your faith. Goodness, verse 10, he says, be all the more eager, be diligent to make your calling and election sure. And in verse 15 of chapter one, and I will make every effort, I will be diligent, Peter says, to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Don't forget. Don't get so wrapped up in your questions or your anxiety or your anger or your hurt that you forget that God made promises and he's going to fulfill those promises. We, we are winning at being disciples of Jesus Christ when we are diligent. And Peter gives us three challenges this morning in Christian diligence in light of the return of Jesus as he closes this letter. The first is this, to be diligent to live godly lives. You see, what we believe, what we believe should, if we truly believe what we say we believe should impact how we behave. If I say, and this is an old illustration, if I say I believe that chair will hold me up, but I never actually go sit in it, have I really, do I really believe that that chair will hold me up? I haven't put that faith into action. James talks about it. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works, faith without transformation in you, how you think, how you act, what you do, what you say, how you say it. If you say one thing and it doesn't change and impact how, how you act and all those other things, then what you said is empty. It's really not true. We need to, we need to be serious about thinking through that stuff. Um, look at verses 11 through 14 in 2 Peter chapter 3. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, in this way is what I just read in verse 10, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Now, a key word here in this passage is looking. Uh, is looking. It's in verse 14 there. To look means to eagerly await, to be expectant. We find this idea in Luke chapter three, verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah to come and, and John was kind of broaching the, the, what they thought might be how the Messiah might act. 
Now, John sets them straight. He says, I'm not even, I'm not even able to tie the sandals of who is going to come after me. But they were, they were looking. They were looking, and that caused them to think differently about things. The people of Israel were waiting expectantly for Jesus. As they lived their daily lives, they were looking sort of off into the distance, off onto the horizon, just, just wondering. In the morning, they would get up and they would look out and go, I wonder if today will be the day that Jesus comes. Maybe, maybe today is the day that the Messiah, and, and you can see how, how year after year after year when he doesn't come, why maybe some of those false teachers rose up and took advantage of that, that moment in time and said, well, you see, it's just been this way forever. It's not going to change. Jesus really isn't coming. It's just a lie that's been made up. So why would we, why would we live our lives this way when we could have a lot more pleasure and do more fun things or what seem to be fun things if we live this way? And Peter is reminding us, no, 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 no. Don't, don't listen to the false teachers. Hang true to the word of God because this is true and it will happen. In Acts chapter three, verse five, we see that word again, look, to be expectant, used in reference to the expectation of receiving something. Uh, verse five of Acts three, so the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. He was expecting something. He was looking forward to receiving something. It describes their attitude as they waited excitedly and expectantly for Jesus' return. Because when we realize that this world that we live in, all that it contains, all the material anyway, is going to be dissolved and the elements are going to be disintegrated, we realize that we can't put our hope in these things. These things are, we, we can't put our hope in anything in this world, really, only in our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, there were lots of tears last night when the girls lost that basketball game. And I kept thinking in my head, I kept repeating it for my own self, it's just a game, David. It's just a game. Now, in that moment in time, it didn't feel like just a game to them. I get that. They wanted to win it. I wanted them to win it. I was with them last year when they didn't win it. I thought just maybe this was their year. Well, as all good sports fans say, there's always next year. Maybe next year will be it. And, and, and one, of the dads, one of the dads says to me, yeah, you know, he said, experiences like this, we just got to remember that, that it builds character. And I said, yes, that's true. It, it, it does two things. Losing or having things not turn out the way that you want them to, I think it does two things. First of all, it does, it builds character. But I think it also exposes bad character. It can expose bad. How are we going to react to this? Are we going to learn from this? Are we going to grow in this? Are we going to stand in faith and obedience to Jesus Christ in this? No matter how it turns out, that is how we ought to live our lives. That's what Peter says right here. Now, we wait expectantly for him to return. And as, wait a minute, I just jumped ahead a whole page. Stop. 
See, Jesus is where our true hope is. And remember, this kind of hope is not wishful thinking. It's guaranteed. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you surrender your life to him and you say in your mind, you know, you know that you have, your name has just been written in the book of life and you're a child of God, that is a sure thing. And, and we got to hold on to that hope. That hope brings joy and peace and it's produced by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life through our relationship with Jesus Christ. The death of someone you loved who was a child of God, man, there is enormous pain in that. Loneliness, brokenness, hurt. But there's also enormous hope if they were a believer in Jesus Christ because they literally are whole and true and pain-free after they take their last breath. And, and there are a lot of people in our world that say, I mean, I read on Facebook every day, may he or she rest in peace or they're in a better place. And I always ask, I always think to myself, how do they know that? How do they know? It's a great thing to say, albeit maybe not true all the time, because unless that person trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in their life, they are not in a better place. That is not true. And because of that fact, we need to go on and listen to what Peter says next. However, I'm not there quite yet. Broken relationships broken marriages, there's loneliness, there's a range of emotions and consequences to deal with, but there is still hope in the situation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is still hope even in that situation. You can insert any struggle or failure or disappointment here, but remember, Jesus is coming again. He's coming And if you take your last breath before, before he returns and you are a Christ follower, you will be in his presence. God's word promises that, us that. God promises that, us that through his word. Pain-free, worry-free, whole. That is how we can live our lives every day in and around the muck that's in this world, in and around the amazing and the beautiful and always have hope. We've been watching this TV show called Alone. They drop 10 people out in the middle of nowhere and they basically have to survive. The longest person surviving before tapping out gets a half a million dollars. And, and of all of the people that I have watched so far, they're, they're like in tune with nature and they're, they're, they, they, they catch a fish and they're like, thank you, Mother Earth. And, and I'm like, no, no, that's not what's going on. You are in God's creation. He created the beautiful trees. And that, and that musk ox, which are a lot smaller than I thought they were, anyway, that musk ox that you literally just killed with your bare hands and a knife. That was a gift from your creator. And you should, uh, of course, if, if they're not believers, they're not going to. 
But, but I'm just watching going, it's God. Because he loves you. We're celebrating that hope that we have today in, in communion. Jesus' sacrifice, we are remembering it. What a great thing. And, and because we simply don't know when Jesus is going to return or when we're going to take our last breath, we must constantly be ready. Diligent to live godly lives. And as we diligently live with that hope, it will constantly transform us. And as people around us see that transformation, they are going to be attracted to it. And so that's why Peter also challenges us to be diligent to win the lost. It's kind of an old school phrase, win the lost. Look at verse 15 and 16. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation just as our... Dear brother, Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Side note, Peter again refers to Paul's letters, Paul's writing as scripture. And the fact that Jesus hasn't returned yet is a matter of God's patience, not a matter of the prophecy not being true. He will return, and that patience is a good and loving and merciful thing so that we can not only wait expectantly for him to return, but so that we can take advantage of the opportunities that he gives us to point people who are lost to the truth. our coworkers, our family members, our neighbors, and even those who, don't, who, who we don't know as the Holy Spirit provides opportunities for us when we're just out and about to share what Jesus has done in our life. Look at verses nine and 10 of chapter three. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Look, he doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And praise God, I'm not in charge. Because I would not be so patient with y'all. I would not be so patient with myself. I just don't think I would be. I think I would have laid it all bare by now. But not our Savior. Not our Creator. No, He is long-suffering. He is patient. And my prayer is that instead of all of us putting his patience to the test, that we instead diligently live godly lives and that we diligently seek to win the lost. To share how Jesus has transformed our lives. I've heard it from many of you. You, you, you find it fairly easy to tell me your story and, and, and how Jesus has changed your life since you've moved here, since you've been here, since you've made this decision or that decision, since you've surrendered this aspect of your life. Share with someone else. God will give you the opportunity. It's your story. They can't tell you, oh no, you, 
that's not true. They can not believe in the same way, but how will you know unless you tell them the story? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19, Paul writes this, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now, who doesn't share good, where's Kathy Leth? How many people have you, she just got back from a cruise. I'm not sure you can tell. She's like brown. (laughs) Sorry, I'm putting you on a spot big time. How many people have you told about your trip and how great it was and how? Quite a few people, she said. Look, there isn't anybody on the planet that doesn't have something good happen to them and they don't immediately look for somebody to tell. I don't care what it is. I saw something about putting trim in a house the other day and I took a screenshot and sent it to Roy. I'm like, dude, this is a great idea. Why would we do that with plain old boring stuff like trim and cruises when we have the answer to the sin problem of our world in a loving Savior, Jesus Christ, that we can share with other people? I mean, we got to stop listening to the enemy because he says, well, they won't listen to you or they're going to ignore you or they're going to hate you. We got to stop listening to him. We got to tell people what Jesus has done in our lives. How he loves us, how he is full of grace and mercy. Like, hey, you're having a conversation with somebody and they're really struggling with something. Hey, I've noticed that, that you've really been down lately. You know, what? you know what really helps me to get through the days when life is, is hard? It's reading the Psalms in the Bible. There are things that God communicates to me through the Psalms that just, do you have a Bible? Maybe I could give you one. Would you take one if I would offer it to you and, and I could help you see some Psalms that you could read and just trust me on this. Just, just read them one morning and, and just, See what happens. That's an easy conversation. They can shut you down. You haven't lost anything. All that's been lost is their opportunity to be exposed to the word of God. Take that card. Take 10 of them. Take 20 of them. We'll have a stack out here. We're going to do this again next week. There'll be one on every chair. It's easy. Go, go with your kids and knock down the doors on your block and invite people to, to the, East, the Easter series, I, 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 the, the resurrection series at North Hills. Yeah, no matter how bad life gets, you want to talk about grace and mercy. Jesus He's patient. He doesn't want any of us to perish. And I know life isn't fair sometimes. I mean, you can say this to someone too. They're complaining about their boss or how mistreated they were. Somebody, somebody really, really stabbed them in the back. I mean, and I'm not, 
this stuff is hurtful. Yeah, I know life isn't fair sometimes and people are mean and yes, some are right down, are downright evil in how they treat others, but God has assured me that he will deal with them how it's required. And if I try to take that on and deal with them how I think God should deal with them, trust me, it's not gonna be right. It just won't be. Yeah, I I mean, I just mess things up when I try to be the equalizer or the administrator of justice. I can't judge people's hearts, but he can. He knows, I don't. Oh, it's hard, but I try to leave that up to him. What about you? Do you ever think about letting God take care of the people that give you a hard time in life? Here's what I do. Loving, gentle conversation, talking about the promises of Jesus and how he loves simply sharing what God has done in your life with others. He opened this door. He closed that door. And since I was paying attention and I actually walked through the door, I got this amazing blessing. Or, or I faced this incredible um, difficult time, but at the end of that difficult time, on the other side, I looked back and saw what God taught me through that. Because he's teaching all the time. His voice, uh, or, or, or even though I couldn't see my feet, I still took the step. Now, I was sure that's what he wanted me to do. It was exactly what I needed to do. Be diligent to live godly lives. Be diligent to win the loss. And finally, Peter encourages us to be diligent to grow spiritually. Therefore, verse 17, dear friends, since you already know this, in other words, remember Remember, I'm, I'm reminding you, I'm repeating this. We need that over and over. That's why we come to church. That's why we get in a Bible study. That's why we, we read devotional books. That's why we spend great amounts of time in God's word so that we will remember. Because the enemy's really good at distracting you. Oh, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to go there. I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to pray. Be diligent to grow spiritually. Um, Into verse 17. Be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Grow in grace and knowledge for one final time. Peter reminds us not to fall prey to the schemes of false teachers, and it's happening every day in our world. The internet is an amazing and powerful tool in the hands of the enemy to promote lies and half-truths. Paul gave similar instructions to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4, verse 16. From him... The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Diligently growing in love, doing my part in God's mission on planet Earth. Grow means to advance, to increase the sphere of. We are to grow in grace. 
through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because, because of his grace, God forgives the sins of his children. And, and that's you if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You have that forgiveness. You have that grace has been applied to your life. And as a child of God, we then consume and feed on the truth of scripture and, and we commune with Christ. And as we do, we increase in our knowledge of him, in our knowledge of his promises, in our knowledge of his commands, and then become a part of who we are and we begin to live that way. It, tra it changes who we are. And if you're here on a Sunday morning and you've been faithful to come every day on a Sunday your entire life, and you still say one thing and you do another, you better listen. Because this is, this is transforming. A relationship with Jesus Christ will change us. We're not gonna not struggle anymore. We're human beings living in this world but we are going to respond to our failures differently when we are in Christ Jesus. I mean, Paul, when he's talking in Romans and, and he says that, 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 I mean, basically he says the more sin there is, the more grace that, that, that there is applied to your life. And, and he's, he's, Paul, as he's writing, he's thinking, I know these people. I know what they're gonna think. And, and he continues on and he's like, well, okay, just so you know, you should not draw the conclusion that, well, then I should sin a lot so that grace may abound. No, Paul says, no. The opposite. I have been given this incredible grace. I, 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 there were times when I had no idea how, I, how blessed I was to have the mother that I did. I made fun of her. I remember it. Her laugh, her, her attention to, oh my goodness gracious. I, some of you haven't heard this, but I was the, I swear, the only University of Wyoming freshman living in the dorms who had matching curtains and bedspreads on his bed. <laughs> Male, boy student. Maybe some girls did that. And do you think all my guy friends walked in the room and went, wow, cool, you got matching curtains and bedspread. No, but, but as I think about what my mother provided for me and how much she loved me, I, there were times where I was a stupid, selfish kid. And I should have realized the gift that I had before me with my mom while she was walking this earth. That's the gift we have in Jesus Christ. Let's not forget. And, and let's, let's live diligently godly lives. Let's diligently win the lost. And let's also be diligent to grow spiritually. In, in Peter's first letter, he, he comments on this very process that I just described to you. He says in 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. That's where you start craving that milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. And then, of course, we know that one day we get off that milk and we go on to, 
to meat. Now, the gospel isn't milk. The, the gospel is the foundation of that meat. But there is growth and maturity that must increase, and that increases through our knowledge and our experiences. And Christians are better prepared to fend off destructive doctrines and spiritual deceptions if they're growing, if they're studying, if they're, if they're paying attention. And with Jesus as our Lord, he will provide us with the doctrinal stability that we need so that we can avoid being misled. And to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. In closing, Peter reminds and reassures us again that Jesus will return. The glory will be his forever so we can live this life right now in light of that reality. That's the gift, diligently living godly lives, sharing the amazing truth with others, and growing spiritually in our relationship with Jesus. As the worship team comes up, I guess I am having you come up. Never mind, just stay there. Bob was giving me the, no, no, no. I want you to close your eyes and I want to read Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4 to you and then we're going to partake of communion this morning. Listen to these words, God's words. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus, when you sat with the disciples and you said, this bread, take and eat, this is my body, and you broke it for them, you were setting up an action for us to take until you come back. And this morning we remember the broken body that this bread represents as we partake this morning. And you gave them the cup and you gave thanks for it and you gave it to them and you said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Lord Jesus, as we partake of this this morning, for all of those who are in Christ Jesus here with us this morning, as we take a piece of bread and we take a cup and we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we are remembering, we are worshiping, we are thanking you for your sacrifice to us, for us. The bread your body, the cup, your blood. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be drawn into you this morning as we partake and as we remember. May we never forget and may it motivate us to, to live our lives with hope and peace and joy before all others. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to pass out the cup and the bread together.
take each and, and on your own as Joyce plays, worship, just quiet your heart before the Lord and then at some point the worship team will come up and close us in a final song. have some gluten-free wafers here if you are new and you need something gluten-free just let me know